Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. What follows is the service from March 19th, 2023. Thank you. God bless. Good morning, church. How are you? We're going to get started in just a second because greatness just walked in. That's right. The church family is on their way in. Hope everybody had a good St. Patty's Day. We're going to start off uh, reading from 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'm going to start in verses 1 and I'm going to go through verse 13. Again, 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to, Je I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You were to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled. When they met him, they asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes. In peace, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed stands here before me. Or I'm sorry, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord does not heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel went, then went to Ramah. If you want to mind, bow with me, please. Lord God, I appreciate your word. I appreciate how I can adapt and change no matter what we are going through. Lord, I, I read this section of Samuel, and, and I feel blessed that it is more than what we look like. It is more than what we do or the family that we're born into. It's who we are as an individual that you take time to get to know, to love, to cultivate, to help shine. Lord God, uh, I pray that as a follower of you, that this congregation will enrich those around them so that they too may help rise up difference makers. Be still our hearts, Lord. Help us focus on you. 
We pray this in your name. Amen. Yeah. 
I'll be reading from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your God and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for leading us, guiding us, and sustaining us. We know that in this life we will encounter dark valleys and bright mountaintops, and you remain with us through it all. Thank you for the Lenten season and its significance as we await the resurrection of Christ. Please be with all those who are sick, hurting, or in need. Specifically, we pray for Melissa, for Paul, Manuel, Leanne, Brett, Pam, Robert, Jane, and Aiden. And we continue to remember Chuck and Stina and Jackson. Please be with us this week. Keep us all safe and bring us back together next week. Amen.
famous one by John. Back 70 degrees on Saturday. It's going to be a completely sunny day. Um, we've done this before. Cedars of Lebanon State Park is just about 30 or 40 minutes east of us in Lebanon. And it's close enough that you can kind of come and go throughout the weekend if you want. We're going to be sending out an email trying to get a head count for all the meals. If you just want to come up for a little bit or if you want to stay the whole time. The teenagers stay themselves with carefully selected chaperones, but stay themselves the second night, Saturday, and then we'll come back Sunday morning. But we do want to let you all know that Saturday around 3 o'clock is the often imitated, never duplicated Ackland Talent Show. It's world famous, okay? Many memories have been made. And each, I know what you're thinking. You're like, but I don't have a talent. You do. You do, and we can't wait to see it on Saturday. So I hope you can join us for that. I also want to thank Matt Perkins uh, for preaching last week on the John 4 story of the Samaritan woman at the well. 
talking about baptism. I love Matt's emphasis on the strangeness of baptism. I love his conversation on fasting, on how it helps us reassess our relationship with things. We don't fast from things because they're bad. We fast from things to make sure they're not becoming idols and taking the place of that living water uh, in our life. This morning we're going to be in John chapter 9. It's a rather long reading, but you're going to turn there. Two weeks in a row of long readings. But if you can turn there, and, and I'll set it up this way. This reading this morning focuses on vision, blindness, and sight. I have a frequent experience in my life where I say, how did I not see that before? And sometimes it's when you're looking for your keys in the morning, or your phone, or your glasses. And the place where you've been staring, you've checked the kitchen counter three times before, and then you, that fourth time, you're like, there they are, there are my keys, there's my phone, there's my, how did I not see that before? I mean, it was looking at me. You know, if you've had kids, and you're trying to go somewhere in the morning, and you're looking for the shoes, and you're saying, go look in your closet, and they say, I've looked in the closet five times. And then you go, and the shoes are just there, right? They're just there. And you're like, how did you not see them? It's one of the things I've enjoyed most about being involved in education, the educational experience of where suddenly the light bulb turns on, right? And you start to see something that you've never seen before. You see the connection of things. Even as a child, you're like, oh, division is the opposite of multiplication. I mean, just those fun things where you're like, oh, this is so cool. This morning, we're going to be talking about spiritual vision, spiritual sight, but also spiritual blindness and how the Holy Spirit enables us to see things. And there are moments where suddenly one minute you didn't see it and the next minute you do. But there are other times in life where it's a very gradual process where you may see, you may have an experience of, I've been walking with Jesus for 30 or 40 years and then now I see something I've never seen before. And yet, I was walking with Jesus, but there's still this sight, this increased vision that comes along where I walk with him. And that's an incredible experience. And one of the things that brings us joy as the decades start to pile up of the time we've been following Jesus. So with that in mind, let's do this reading together. I, I want to warn you, it's a long reading. You can stand up. You cannot stand up. If you don't stand up the whole, the whole time, some of you may not want to. But if you would join me in the bold section, feel free. Those that want to stand, feel free. But you have, a, you have a total out if you don't want to stand. Or kids, if you need to take a break. It's a long reading. It's John chapter 9. A, a man who is blind. I want you to specifically notice the metaphor of physical and spiritual blindness. Now the religious leaders can physically see, but they can't spiritually see it. Comparison to the blind man is going to be really cool. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happens that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world together. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. 
So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, mm, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? They asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind, and now the dam which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? <clears throat> so they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this what you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he's our son. The parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out in the synagogue. This was why his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know that this man is a sinner. Together. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple? We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not sent from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out together. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world. So that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim to see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you for that. your patience for that long reading there. I want us to notice several things from the scripture before we make some application. Don't you notice how the sight and the blindness is used both physically and metaphorically? And it starts with a man who is physically blind and accused of being a sinner. They had 
This archaic notion that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. Therefore, if something bad happened, you must have done something to deserve it. Things just didn't happen. So somebody must have sinned. They believe he's a sinner. That's why he's blind. Jesus opens his eyes and he can see. He can see physically, but he also comes to see spiritually that Jesus is the Son of Man, the term used in the Old Testament for the coming Messiah. It gets towards the end of the story and you realize the Pharisees can physically see, but they are spiritually blind. One of the Pharisees towards the end of the reading says, are we blind too? And Jesus gives an answer, which is basically, yeah. Physically, you can see, but spiritually, you are blind. And we've all had the experience. Once again, you're looking for your car keys. You can physically see, but for some reason, it's going right over your head. And so often, we can physically see, but we are spiritually blind. I also want to point out that this story happens around the pool of Siloam. Siloam is the name of one of our Akron partners, Siloam Health that Jennifer Sternberg works for, Kelly Moore is a longtime board member that provides health care. This idea of being cleansed, being healed, but also that idea of being sent. I, mean, I thought it was important to make that notation. This is our third week in a row that we're dealing with a story that includes being washed. We talked about Nicodemus, where Jesus says you must be born of water and the Spirit. The Samaritan woman, where Jesus talks about living water. And here we have the water washing his eyes. So once again, how water is used is this cleansing idea. The idea of new birth, the idea of being washed. And then we also have the idea of, and I know it's a little gross, Jesus spitting on the ground in saliva. And I noticed we don't all pronounce saliva the same way. <laughs> as I said, we did, that, did the reading together. Okay, But what's going on? Why is Jesus spitting on the ground? Okay, Jesus is doing a throwback here. In the Genesis story, what was Adam created of? Dust. Jesus is making a little mud on his own, right? He's spitting into it, making some mud, puts some in his eyes. This is the one that created all things originally, and the one that has come back to recreate, to make all things new. This is a God that gives us physical sight. All sight comes from God. But also, this is a God that gives us spiritual sight, too. And what does that mean to have spiritual sight? I want to say a few words about John Newton. I'm going to interview Brad Knapp. And I'm going to say a few more words about John Newton. Because I couldn't help but think about John Newton in the last few weeks. Because there's this amazing line here in John chapter 9, where the blind man says, previously blind man says, I was blind, but now I see. Which, of course, reminded me of a song, Amazing Grace, written by John Newton. Here's a, here's a fun thing happened in my life. I, uh, I get old books from people, but I also inherit books from people in my family. And uh, my step-grandfather died a dozen years ago. And it, it gradually over the years, as we've cleaned out his library, there are various books that I took. And there's a biography of John Newton that I picked up. And, uh, and we called him Dadad. Dadad had underlined various segments. And you know the joy of having a book that a loved one had. Why did they underline this? Why did they underline this? This came out in the mid-2000s. Dad had died just a few years after this. So he, he, had, he died of complications of Parkinson's. So he had Parkinson's when he was reading this, and specifically in the sections when Newton is near death. 
and he's sick, and his wife dies, and dad had his underlying certain sections, and it's, it was a very powerful experience for me this past week to do a deep dive into it. Let me tell you a few things about John Newton and appreciative to Larry for leading several John Newton songs this morning. He was born in England in 1725. His mother died early in childhood. His dad remarried, had some additional children with his second wife. And uh, John was kind of, kind of like the outcast, kind of the proverbial other in his family. He had a rough childhood, and he lost his faith in God. And uh, the phrase that was used a lot for him is, he was a blasphemer. He liked to curse, and specifically liked to curse God. And this would have been a society where people were like, oh, I can't believe he did that. But he was like a rabble rouser, right? And he would, he would do these types of things to kind of push the envelope. And he was very, it wasn't just like he was an agnostic, like he ridiculed belief in God. Um, his father had been uh, a boat captain, and he was on several journeys himself uh, as, as a shipman. At one point, he's with the Royal Navy. Another point, he becomes, and he's involved in the slave trade at various points around the African continent. At one point, he's even enslaved himself. And then one night, he's on a boat, and he's reading the classic work, uh, Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. And he said later that he was getting his heart to be afraid that it was true. <laughs> so he shut the book and went to bed. And that night there was a great storm. He was 23 years old when this storm happened. And he cried out in the storm, Lord, have mercy. And God answered their prayer. And even though the ship was badly damaged, they fought for about two weeks, got the ship finally fixed, and got to land. And he saw God intervene in his life. Many conversions have happened through storms. Martin Luther has a famous storm conversion experience as well. When he's 23 years old, this is 1748, he commits his life to Jesus. And he says, from that day on, he never drank alcohol, he never cursed, he never blasphemed God. So many things go back to this. And the date of that was March 21st. He always celebrated that as his, his new birth experience, just two days from now. But here's the thing. He still participated in much wickedness. God gave him some spiritual sight, but he was still spiritually blind to many things. And one of those was that he continued to participate in the slave trade. And he continued to participate in all the things that were involved in the slave trade. Many, many wicked things that sometimes might go over our heads. But I remember as a young person watching the movie Amistad. You remember watching that movie? I mean, like, oh, just a lot of evils I had never pictured in my mind, right? And, and sadly, John Newton was involved in all of those evils. And he later in his life recounted that experience. He has a gradual awareness that this is a wicked thing to be a part of. And he also experiences a gradual awareness that he's called to ministry. He starts hanging out with the Methodists, which at this point, they were a reform movement of the Church of England, but they hadn't broken off yet. Um, but he's like, I want to do reform from the inside out. And so he waits for six years, finally gets ordained in the Church of England. Becomes a minister at the age of 30. Becomes a hymn writer. He writes Amazing Grace, Glorious Things of the Year Spoken. Several of these are released in the hymnal 1779. But yet it's not until 1788... When he's 63 years old, that he releases a public pamphlet on the evils of the slave trade. 
And he'd been carrying this with him for years and years and years. And historians say that in private conversation, he would tell people what he'd been involved in and how horrible he felt about it. But he had never publicly talked about it until he's 63 years old. And he releases what becomes a famous work on the evils of the slave trade. And he confesses, he says, this is what I did. This is what I was a part of. And I'm going to give every breath the rest of my life in eradicating the slave trade. About this time, there's a young politician named William Wilberforce, who's in the House of Parliament. And he has an encounter with Jesus, and he's like, oh my goodness, Jesus is coming to my life. I want to become a minister too. So he comes to Newton, who was a mentor. He says, I think I should become a minister too. And Newton does this great Esther 4 thing where he says, maybe you're in this place for this reason, right? Don't become a minister. Do God's will in Parliament. Wilberforce becomes one of the great leaders in the abolitionist movement in England. And in 1807, when Newton is 82, just months before he dies, the slave trade is abolished in England. And Newton gets to experience that on his deathbed just a few months before he dies. This idea that there was things he could see, but then it took years to see some things. And I would encourage all of us that the longer we live, may the Holy Spirit show us more and more. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just shows us where we were wrong about something, right? How could I be so wrong about this? But other times the Holy Spirit just takes us into deeper truth. And that's exciting as well. Fasting is one of the things that enables us to have spiritual sight. So with that in mind, Brad's going to come up now. And I'm going to dialogue with Brad some. As Brad comes up, I want to thank Brad publicly for organizing Room in the Inn this year. This is our last night to do Ruin Inn, and so thankful we're still doing it, right, with these cold temperatures. But also thankful for Brad for organizing our food pantry. If you have any questions about those ministries, uh, you can talk to Brad. I double-checked with Brad. I said, we're still good for the interview. And he said, what interview? I've noticed that a lot of you, this is your favorite thing to do. When I line you up for something, then you pretend like you don't remember. But anyway, <laughs> I think he was joking. Okay, so Brad, we've had... Lots of fasting prompts. It's all been optional, but we're trying to get into the Lenten season. We've had fasting prompts ranging from silent drives to social media to tech to video games and TV. What has the experience of fasting been like for you? Uh, I will confess I have not enjoyed some of it. Um, <laughs> it's hard. Uh, I found myself, particularly the first one, the, the uh, no radio in the car. I mean, frequently... There was the involuntary action, I'm going to call it involuntary, where I was trying to hit the button um, to listen to it. And I had to catch myself many times and say, well, why am I not listening uh, and taking it to the next step? Um, I have found myself very much like a Pharisee, uh, particularly with the one currently, uh, putting up more barriers so that I'm not watching TV or I'm not playing video games. Is What can I do instead? Maybe I'll do a puzzle. Maybe I'll go out and do some yard work or whatever. Um, personally I feel like that is a uh, that's not necessarily what is intended in some aspects I feel like I should be taking that time that I would be doing that stuff and, and focusing on the Lord or maybe focusing on my family or something along those lines um, so not easy yeah. but I, I appreciate the um, the other aspects that come of that and I'm sure we'll get to that what Brad, I, I, I know a little bit about your background, not entirely. Fasting wasn't a big point, a big part of my religious upbringing. So even now, it's hard for me to sometimes 
like really conceptualize why are we fasting and what's supposed to be going on here. So what do you think is the point of fasting? What do you think God is teaching us in fasting? Me personally, I think fasting is a an opening of, well, I don't know if I'm going to that. Uh, I think it's more of a, hey, maybe I'm spending a little too much time on X, whatever X is. I play a lot of games on my phone. I've probably dropped an hour's worth of time on my phone uh, this past week because of this fasting. Um, there's all sorts of radio stations that I missed uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, I, th I think it is, you said it earlier this morning, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's checking ourselves. Mm -hmm. And what are we doing with our time? Um, I've got 24 hours in the day, and I probably don't give more than, maybe not even an hour to God at times. Um, so when I'm fasting and I'm giving up something else, uh, my hopes are, is that I'm, I'm realizing, you know what, God, you do need some time too. You've done so much for me, what have, what have I done? That's where I think it's very hard in that aspect. Um, but I think it's a, it's a realization that what I thought was there that sustained sustain me doesn't. Mm -hmm. I don't have to have the radio. I even catch myself now a couple weeks later thinking, why am I turning it on? Um, maybe I should be thinking through whatever's getting ready to go on, or maybe I should be thinking about this for so-and-so or, or for whatever in that regards. TV, I have a little bit harder time. The, the video games, I have a harder time on. But um, I see a purpose behind it. So the idea of fasting driving us towards reflection, I hear you saying that. I've had similar experience just like stepping back and thinking more about things. And, and it makes us think of, of this story we looked at this morning. This famous, hey, I was blind, but now I see. I'm starting to see stuff I hadn't seen before. And I gave you this question a couple of weeks ago because it, it may not be something we can all just frequently answer, but have you ever had an experience of, I was blind, but now I see? I, th I think that there's a, many opportunities in our lives when we think about it, but I don't have one particular one, mm -hmm. but I, I think from a consistent basis, because of my kids, William and Abigail, I am reminded of who I am and maybe how I act in ways that aren't always pleasing. Um, uh, you know, William and I had an opportunity uh, this past week to uh, go out to Gatlinburg and we were interacting with some other families. And there were some things, that, some interaction um, with the kids in, in front of other parents that I was like, ooh, maybe I should have that conversation. Or do I do that? You know, where were our manners there? Or, you know, what were we doing there? Um, and there are times when uh, they're like, man, why is, why is someone so acting that way? Anna Marie will look at me and say, that's because that's how you act. <laughs> <laughs> and so those kind of understanding, and I think that's what fasting does at times, is it, it helps us look back and say, hey, why, or, or how am I reacting when I'm doing this? I will say some of this fasting time frame, I have been short with my kids, with my wife and with others, because I'm not getting the separation that I'm yep. used to. I'm not getting to veg out on, on the video games or that TV, and now I am short because I didn't have me time, uh, or what I considered was me time. Um, and so that has been a reality check for me as well. Yeah, just step back and think, oh, is that what I do? Oh, it is what I do. Yes, 100%. How did I never see that I was that irritable or cranky or impatient? I've definitely been there with that. 
Um, as we wrap up here, what else about this John 9 story? I mean, there's, it's a long reading. There's a lot going on in it for sure. What else about the story in John 9 moves you? So, so there's a couple aspects that, that I want to point out in here. Um, the first, we'll do a, a little Brad history, I guess, um, in the sense that you've got to keep in mind for, for this scripture and this time, the Pharisees run the town. That is the makeup of the town. If they don't like you, I mean, look at it like the Scarlet Letter. If they don't like you, you're kind of ostracized. Um, and I, I think that's kind of a point why the parents are so scared and say, no, 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 you speak to him, we're out of this. And, and look at it from the parents' standpoint, too. In that society, your kid's blind because you did something wrong. So they've been vilified for their most of their life, if not all their life, um, because of their kid, whom I'm sure they love, but is different. Um, and, and so they're scared. And from the guy's standpoint, I'm sure he's scared too. Yeah. Like, man, I've been sitting here begging. You all know who I am. He's walking down the street being like, hey, you must be Bill. You're Sue. I remember your voice. You always did this for me. Or, you know what? You're the guy who would never give me anything. Uh, you know, these Pharisees knew who he was. He probably knew them by voice. Yeah. Maybe, definitely, but probably not by sight. Um, so there's that aspect. And the thing that I, I liked as, as I was reflecting on it, three times he was asked, hey, is this, what happened to you? And each time he got deeper. Mm. If you just oppose that to Peter, Peter was asked three times, and each time he got more and more reclusive and said, no, that's not me, get away from me. So we have an opportunity in our lives to step out and that can be very scary, and that can be dangerous. Uh, for this blind man, he had nothing else. He was like, look, I had nothing. Uh, and, and now I have so much more because of this guy. And, and his blindness, now that he can see, has opened him up and allowed him to be freer. Peter, who had a whole lot of stuff going on for him, did not do the same thing. Uh, and, and I think that that should be eye-opening to us. Uh, and I think that's what fasting can help us with is what are we really holding on to that is keeping me from seeing what God wants me to see? And I think that's different for me, for each of us. Yeah. Uh, and I will say I, I like this every week. It's something different because one's not too hard for me, but this week has been really hard for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, I'm sure that's for others. And we still have another week to go. Another another couple weeks to go. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brad. I appreciate that. As he returns to his seat, um, say a few more words here. And I love that emphasis on going deeper because I really think that's the invitation of the Lenten season for us to go deeper into our faith as we anticipate the resurrection, to challenge ourselves, to take a step out. And I'm thankful for him sharing his experiences. Okay, so <clears throat> the fasting prompt for this week is the vice fast. Okay. Um, I blame Ron Sullenberger for all of this. Okay, when we were walking in the woods, he's like, we should do a vice fast. And I was like, I'll let you explain that one. You'll notice he's not here today. Anyway, okay. <laughs> but in the bulletin, it says something in your life that might prompt you towards a vice. <clears throat> so anger, greed, or lust. I'll share with you just to conceptualize this, what I'm going to do this week. And the older I get, the more I notice greed in my heart. So this week, I'm going to try to, to fast from online shopping, okay? A lot of my 
online shopping, I don't even buy stuff. I just scroll Amazon or I look at baseball caps for 30 minutes when I'm stressed or whatever it is, okay? But I notice kind of degree, or I'm in my Instagram feed and then I see an advertisement for the perfect t-shirt and my life would have meaning if I had that t-shirt, okay, or whatever it is. But I'm gonna to try to fast from that this week. So, so get creative and we'll enjoy talking about it next week. Before we sing the song Amazing Grace, I just want to close with a few thoughts that were meaningful to me uh, this past week, uh, talking about Newton and reading this book. If you told Newton when he died, one of your songs is going to be super famous, and it's going to be the most uh, sung and repeated song in all the English-speaking world. Zero chance he would have guessed Amazing Grace. It was not famous in his day. And also, it wasn't famous at that time in British culture. In fact, a lot of Newton songs weren't because uh, those in the UK at the time were very suspicious of hymn singing because it was associated with revivalism. There were even laws about hymn singing at time because it was too emotional. Okay, Hymn singing was a much bigger deal in the United States. And so a lot of his music became much more popular in the US and was associated with revivalism. He did not write the tune that we associate with Amazing Grace. He wrote the lyrics, but not the tune. Best we can tell, the tune associated with Amazing Grace first shows up in the hymnal put out by William Walker in 1835. William Walker put together several hymnals, and this one he had spent a lot of time touring the South listening to songs that people were singing and putting them together. We do not know 100% certain, but we are pretty sure the tune comes from African Americans, and it was sung in the South, most likely on plantations by slaves, and they took the, the lyrics of Amazing Grace and put them with a tune that they were familiar with. The song Amazing Grace shows up in Uncle Tom's Cabin, 1852, one thing that I did not know is the last verse when we've been there 10,000 years, Newton didn't write that. Right? But uh, African slaves in the South wrote that verse and added it to it. Years later, um, it goes even out of worship settings. Mahalia Jackson released it with Apollo Records in 1947, and the song Amazing Grace became associated with the Civil Rights Movement, the anti-war movement. And even remembrances of 9-11, you'll hear Amazing Grace. It's one of the most interesting things to me that a slave captain who was involved in every aspect of the slave trade later repents, gives his life to the abolitionist movement, and yet dies. The song's not famous at all. Later, the song becomes famous and popularized by the descendants of the people he enslaved. And I don't know what to do with all of that except to say that our God is a good and gracious God. One of the things my grandfather, as he was nearing his death from Parkinson's, one of the things he underlined near one of the last pages of this book about Newton was something, a quote from Newton, where someone writes, I saw Mr. Newton near the closing scene. He was hardly able to talk. And all I find I had noted down upon my leaving him was this quote, where Newton said, My memory is nearly gone. But I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. With that in mind, let's stand and sing Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved
church. Um, I had a little bit of involuntary fasting uh, yesterday. You can touch base with Brian, Paul, and by a victim of circumstance, uh, Mary Paul, as we uh, went over that and during coffee making this morning. But um, it, when you strip away everything, you have a lot of room to think about things. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that I was really grateful for this morning was just to wake up and feel what I would consider normal, uh, that I was able to breathe easy, that my heart rate wasn't racing, that I wasn't aching all over. Um, there were just really uh, important things that I take for granted all the time. And uh, one of the things I heard this morning uh, as we were going over John chapter 9 is the idea of uh, being blind and, and then seeing or uh, not being able to see but still being blind was that maybe there was a person, and I think that for me this was what I saw, is that sometimes we're afraid to admit that we were blind. Um, I can imagine when, you know, the Bible always has, it's always the Pharisees, it's always the Sadducees. There's not a single Pharisee, there's not a single Sadducee. And uh, one thing that makes me think is like, maybe there was a guy in there, you know, that had been brought up in this faith that was listening to the, these guys, listening to this guy, Jesus, and was like, man, this is, this is interesting. I don't know about this, you know, and, but being afraid uh, to admit that maybe what he had been thinking for all his life or what he'd been learning was wrong or that he had, he was being challenged to kind of say, wow, this is, this is something new. And it's, it's fear. It brings about fear, you know, it brings about this thing. And I, uh, this idea that we can be wrong or that something can be so blatantly in front of us, like he's on a counter and, uh, we struggle to admit that we didn't see it or that, if we are willing to admit that, that means that we were wrong and uh, we've been missing out on something, you know. And so I, and as far as I, to me, I was kind of filled. There's been a lot of things going on in my personal life that um, changing jobs and kind of moving in different directions. And, you know, there's all this anxiety and fear that gets wrapped up in that of like, man, what if I'm making the wrong choice? You know, what if I'm you know, taking away something that's really comfortable uh, for no reason other than to just be uncomfortable. Um, and I think the, I'm being pushed in this to say like, okay, it's okay to get stripped back. And then also it, you get stripped, you strip all that away. And ultimately like I'm, I'm well, uh, I'm standing before you here and I'm really grateful. Um, so don't be afraid uh, to be blind uh, and acknowledge that you were blind and uh, and see. And I think communion, taking part in this together, is a good time to kind of go through that, um, those mental checks, those that time where we've been fasting together um, through these different weeks or the times that we're, we're trying to get in connection with God. This is the time to do it when we're in a body together um, that we can sit, go over those things, think about them, um, and hopefully finding ways that we are blind right now um, that God's trying to open us open us up to. I, I find that oftentimes when I'm looking for God, when I find him, if he was like, I was right here, you know, I was just I was just sitting right next to you the whole time. You just needed to get that peripheral vision checked a little bit more. So um, if you doubt with me as we pray over this um, bread and wine. Heavenly Father, oh, we are grateful to be together. 
Um, we see the fingerprints of what you do in our lives regularly. Help us to see them when we are stubborn not to see them. Um, as we walk through life, it is often hard to admit um, when we are wrong, uh, when we uh, struggle to see something that is may, would maybe be obvious to a second party or third party. Uh, you have you have constantly the right answers, and uh, you make our path straight. Uh, you guide us along the right path for your name's sake, as we heard in Psalm 23. Uh, help us to remember that. Uh, remember that you have good things in store for us, um, that your, your grace is everlasting, that um, we are always open to growth and change as long as we are in connection with your son, Jesus, in whom we pray. Father in heaven, as we uh, get ready for this cup, we acknowledge uh, the sacrifice that your son gave, um, that he shed blood for us, uh, that he gave his body for us, uh, and may we emulate that willingness to um, sacrifice things in our lives uh, to better serve the kingdom of God. And it's in your son Jesus' name.
660. 
that it will be out there, but Lord, that you will make us light instead of darkness that we were in. You will transform us through our confession, God. Um, and that is just a beautiful picture of mercy. Um, and I'm so grateful that we have that promise and the ability to partake in that together as a community, God. Uh, I just pray for the rest of our Sundays, Lord. I thank you for our ability to be here this morning together in communion before you. And I just pray for um, our city as we go back out into it for the remainder of this week and some particularly cold days ahead of us, Lord. I think our neighbors who are um, living without places to reliably go in warmth right now, God. So I just pray we'd be extra mindful of them um, and just mindful of all who we encounter and might see on the day-to-day -day but overlook like our car keys, like JP said. So Lord, in the, the vision that you give us spiritually, Lord, I pray that includes vision for our neighbors this week. In Jesus' name, amen. And um, 
those who um, are recovering from, um, well, let's continue to pray for Melissa as she's recovering from surgery. And uh, Paul Spivey has ACL surgery this Friday, so he's anxious to get back on the basketball court. So pray for him. And Manuel Perdomo, uh, the uh, missionary in El Salvador, um, and pray for his recovery from um, stomach infection. So, and as well as all the other people that are on here that we've been praying about for the last few weeks and months and, and, and our missionaries here and abroad. Does anybody else have anything they'd like to add or am missing? The, uh, the Krinks, our, our uh, missionary here, Lindsay Krinks, our missionary here in Nashville, did have her baby um, the last week. So that's great. That's their, their second. Okay. Pray for them. Anything else? Coffee and donuts downstairs. been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash Thanks again for joining us. God bless.